Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you are new, I want to welcome you. If I didn't meet you on the way in, I would love to do so on the way out. I'm always at the back, right by those back doors. We have our Connect desk back there as well, so we can get you more information. We really believe that the church is just not something you attend. It's something you contribute to, and so we invite you to connect and do that as we start the new year. Uh, Welcome to 2017. That's going to be weird to write and say for a little while, right? Uh, There's lots of ways to bring in the new year, isn't there? You can blow stuff up, right? That's a popular thing, fireworks. Uh, You can eat black-eyed peas and cabbage. I'm still not sure why, but you can do that today. Uh, There's lots of ways to bring in the new year, but I'm glad that you've chosen to do it with Jesus and with us here at Phoenix Bible Church this morning. Uh, As we get started, maybe some of you will notice there's some there's some lower, uh, shorter, rather, people in here, uh, some kids in here, and uh, it's because we're having a family service. We do have child care for zero to three, so if you have kids in that age range, right across the courtyard in the media center, we have child care for them. Uh, we don't always do a family service if you're new, uh, but we do like to do it from time to time to let you worship together as a family, to explain why we sing songs, why we look at God's word, it gives you that opportunity as the main discipler of your kids, and so we invite you to take advantage of that this morning. Next week, we have our kids' men back as normal. It's an amazing ministry, and so come back for that next Sunday. Uh, This morning, we have my friend Thomas uh, here to preach for us, and uh, really excited that Thomas is here, one, because it gave me some time with the family in the holiday season and some time to pray and plan as we get into our new year. Next Sunday, we're having a a vision Sunday to kind of start off the year and say, hey, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is why, and this is what we're doing. So come back for that next Sunday. But it gave me some time, so I'm glad Thomas is here. He's a pastor at Highlands Church in Scottsdale. And uh, Thomas and I met through a pastor's group. So about seven or eight of us, I think, uh, meet once every other month. And we meet with uh, seasoned pastors and leaders and professors across the valley just to learn and to encourage one another and, and see how do we really point people to Jesus? How do we raise up followers of Jesus in the greater valley of Phoenix? We're not doing this alone as Phoenix Bible Church. We're partnered with churches all across our city. And so that's one way as your pastor that I do that. And so I've gotten to know Thomas through that. Glad he is here this morning. Uh, as we talked about his topic for the morning as we start the new year, uh, we talked about the supremacy of Christ. That Jesus is, is first, that he's above all, that everything sits up under him. And that's so important as we frame up our year. You guys are going to have plans and priorities that, that maybe you're beginning to shape and assess as we start the new year. And we just thought, we need to start with Jesus because everything starts with Jesus. Amen? Uh, and so that's the way we're going to start our year. That's the way we're going to start your year and help you with that. And so I'm going to invite Thomas up now. Would you guys give him a warm PBC welcome as he comes? How are you guys doing? You doing well? That's good. Um, I'm happy to be here. I do feel kind of like a fish out of water. Like Tim said, I'm a pastor in Scottsdale, um, but I live in Cave Creek, Arizona. So that means there's like horses and ranches and stuff like that. So coming downtown to see tall buildings uh, and one-way streets is kind of terrifying. Um, at one point this morning, I was literally driving on the light rail. Um, <laughs> So I was in search of coffee, and then I found the light rail, and I was up like that, like wide awake, shouldn't be doing this. Uh, At another point in search of coffee, I somehow ended up in a parking garage. Um, This lane turned in, and then I was like, all right, so cool. We're in a parking garage now. This is fine. Um, That has nothing to do with anything I'm talking about this morning, Um, but it is fun. That was my family. My wife and I have been married for six or seven years. We have three kids. Eli is four. Jude is two. 
and Audrey is 10 months. That's what they look like when they're perfect, like our social media picture that we project for everyone to see. Um, I FaceTimed my wife this morning, and she had boogers in her hair. Um, there was like oatmeal smeared all over her. So that's real life, um, and so I'm happy to be with you guys this morning and not covered in oatmeal. Like Tim said, we're going to be in John 6, 16 through 21. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Just real quick, how many of you have heard this story before? Jesus walks on water, right? Shortly beforehand in John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching and preaching and doing his thing, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are showing up to listen to him. And what does he say to his disciples? He says, where are we supposed to go to buy all these people food? And they say, Jesus, that would be really expensive. Okay, Jesus, we know you can do some good stuff, but in our minds, maybe you're still limited a little bit by resources available to you. And Jesus is like, okay, whatever. And then another guy comes up and he says, well, Jesus, I found uh, five pieces of bread and a couple of fish, but, but what is that to feed so many people? And then Jesus says, have the people sit down, which I would have loved to be there for that, right? Have the people sit down. What's Jesus going to do? What's Jesus going to do, right? And then we see from the story that he feeds upwards of probably 15,000 people. And it's not just he feeds them a little bit, but he feeds them until each person ate their fill. And then it even says there were 12 baskets of leftovers, right? One basket for each disciple to carry out. John 6, 16 through 21 Um, Jesus walking on water is actually in three different Gospels. It's in Mark, it's in Matthew, and it's also here in John. Luke doesn't talk about it. And of the three accounts, John 6 is the shortest and least descriptive. Um, But I love what it focuses on. You'll notice reading it that Peter's not mentioned in this one. Because remember, Peter walks on water with Jesus, and then he sinks, and then he walks on water again. But the focus here in John chapter 6, 16 through 21 Um, is Jesus. And there's one big thing I want to show you this morning, and we have it on the screen, that Jesus is supreme. That Jesus is supreme. What do I mean by that? It means Jesus is better, that Jesus is best, that Jesus is above all. As Tim said, that Jesus, everything else sits underneath Jesus. Nothing is better than him. Nothing is stronger than him. Nothing is greater than him. That's what I mean by Jesus is supreme. So to start, I want to read you real quick John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, because from these two verses, we actually get the main theme and the goal of John's entire gospel. It says this in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Okay, hold on one second. John 20, um, verse 25 actually says, we didn't write down everything, but then he says this, if we did write down everything, I suppose the books of the entire world wouldn't be able to hold them. Okay, Jesus did a lot of amazing stuff, but these are written so that, this is the purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the reason that you'd believe in Jesus, the result that you'd have life in Jesus, this is the entire purpose of John's gospel, that we'd see things Jesus would do, that it would inspire belief within us, that we'd believe in Jesus is the Christ, and that because of that we would have life in his name. So with that in mind, I want to start looking at this. We'll go through verse by verse. Chapter, verse 16 says this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Now, if you're taking notes at all, write down Matthew 14:22 and Mark 6:45 because those are our parallel passages. We find the same story. And in Matthew 14 and Mark 6, this actually reads with a whole lot more force. It's not just that the disciples went down to get into the boat, but it actually says Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Now, you know the story. They get on the boat, and this whole storm erupts, and Jesus knows everything, yes? So Jesus knows full well 
that by making his disciples get into a boat and get on the sea, he's sending them into a difficult situation. So notice first, as we continue studying this, their obedience to Jesus gets them in trouble. Okay, their obedience to Jesus gets them in trouble. Now, we're not totally sure why Jesus had them get down into the boat. We're not sure why he forced them to go, but it happens. And they listen. I want to show you a quick picture. We've got a picture on the map. This is a real place, okay? So the Sea of Galilee is a real place. This isn't some made-up thing. This is Google Earth realness, okay? You can trust the Internet. Everything on the Internet's true. Um, so go ahead and look at this. That is the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Galilee. If you look to the north end, you see the Mount of Beatitudes. You remember the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus preaches that whole, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. That's where he gives that message, the Mount of Beatitudes. Now, the feeding of the 5,000, people aren't totally sure where it happened, but I'm going to be real specific with you right now, okay? It either happened on the left side or the right side of that sea um, because we'll see that he goes up to Capernaum. So we're not totally sure where all this is going on. Um, but that is the lake they actually found themselves on. That is the lake they're going to sail across. It's 13 miles long and 8 miles wide at its widest. So this is the lake which they find themselves on. Verse 17, they got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. I love it's a little foretaste. He says Jesus had not yet come to them. It lets you know um, that help is on the way. That sentence in there, it says, started across the sea to Capernaum. Um, if you read this in, like, the Greek text thing, because that's what smart people who write the book say to do, um, it says they started across the sea to Capernaum. It's actually an imperfect sentence, so a better way to read that part um, would say, and they were trying to cross the sea. Okay, so this is not a completed thing they actually did, because as we'll see, they didn't do it on their own power. They were trying to cross the sea. In Mark 6.48, it says they were making headway painfully. They were really, really trying, but it wasn't working out. The NIV translation says they were straining at the oars. Anyone ever rowed a boat before? Right? This isn't just like row, row, row your boat gently down the stream stuff. This is straining at the oars. So imagine like really gripping and ripping and trying to get through this thing is the point that John is trying to get across. It was an attempt that was very difficult for them to accomplish, and we'll see why in the next verse, it says, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. I want to show you one more picture. Last picture. I'm sorry if pictures make you mad, but we're going to do more pictures. Um, see these two arrows running over there? Over there to the left is the Mediterranean Sea. That's like 20-something miles west of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee actually sits about 696 below like sea level, like it's really, really far down. So wind would come off the Mediterranean Sea, rush through these ravines where you can see the arrows, and then it would hit the lake, and all of a sudden it would be turbulent just like that. It was a normal occurrence, and because they're fishermen, they've been there before, they know what this is like, they've, they've strained at the oars a couple times, um, and, and this is just their reality of their life. It's the way that the geography stuff was, and they were cool with it. But straining at the oars... Not totally good. Now, pay attention to the emphasis um, of the whole situation in verses 17 and 18. Because where Mark and Matthew, they really emphasize this whole Peter thing where, you know, Peter gets out. And Jesus, if it's really you, I want to walk on the water too. Um, John doesn't focus on Peter. He doesn't even talk about Peter. What he does focus on is a bad situation quickly getting worse and worse and worse until Jesus finally shows up. The first thing that John mentions in the gospel here is that they're attempting something very, very difficult. 
very difficult. It says they are straining at the oars. Secondly, he points out it's dark. Um, anyone rowed a boat at dark before? Anyone been on a boat at dark before and then add a storm to it? Um, not the best situation to be in, right? Third, they don't have Jesus. Okay, it's a nice thing to have Jesus when you're going through some rough things um, because he has a tendency to like deliver you from them or whatever. And then fourthly, it says, the seas are rough and the winds are strong. But if you know the Gospels, you know they've actually been in the same exact situation before. Remember the story where they're out on the boat and they're sailing and then again, bam, a storm erupts and it's going crazy and they're freaking out, okay? They're thinking that they're going to die. The text actually says that waves are swamping the boat. They're coming everywhere. Do you want me to turn to you? I love technology. Uh, I'll just keep talking. Don't, thank you. Thank you. Hey, give it up for Chris. Chris, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, so they've been in this situation before, right? They were sailing before, and it says the waves and the winds were so strong that they were actually swamping the boat. Now, again, I'm not like a seaman. I don't sail a whole lot or anything like that. What I do know from being at a lake as a kid on a boat, um, when the water from outside the boat gets inside the boat, that's not good, okay? That's not a good thing. So the disciples, they start freaking out. And where's Jesus in this whole situation? He's asleep in the front of the boat, right? So they go to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying here? And what's he say? He wakes up and says, don't be afraid. And then he just speaks to the seas and speaks to the wind and speaks to the whole thing, and everything goes calm, everything. In their response, they say, who is this man that even the seas obey him? He's Jesus is who he is, and he is supreme over everything. Now, notice the situation they find themselves in, again, is the situation that Jesus has sent them into. The obedience of the disciples leads them to a difficult situation. Friends, this is the Christian life. Okay, I wish that when you uh, came to Jesus and you believed in him, like God just took all your problems away, um, that you immediately got more Instagram followers, that you immediately got more Facebook friends, um, that people just loved you, and every time you shared the gospel, everyone got saved. Okay, I wish that was the Christian life. That is not the Christian life. Okay, the Christian life is you believe in Jesus, and then rough things seem to happen. It would make sense that when you do bad things, you're punished for it. Remember the story of Jonah? Where are all my kids at? Okay, kids, listen. Remember the story of Jonah where, Jonah, where God says, Jonah, hey, go that way to Nineveh. Does Jonah go to Nineveh? Or does he say, I kind of want to run away and go this way? He goes this way, right? And then he finds himself on a boat, and then he finds himself in the water, and then Jonah gets eaten. What's he get eaten by? A fish. A giant fish eats Jonah. Now, when you disobey God, maybe you should get eaten by a fish, <laughs> right? Maybe you should be punished. Maybe you should encounter difficulties, but when you're obedient to Jesus, you encounter difficulties. That's the way this whole thing works? Yeah. That's the way this whole thing works. Obedience to Jesus will oftentimes result in difficulty. But get this. It's worth it. It's worth it. Two reasons why the difficulty is worth it. First, you're rewarded for it. And second, you get to see God do some pretty awesome stuff. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. They come and they go. They come and they go. But things that are unseen are eternal. Okay, our obedience to the Lord might result in difficulty, but guess what? It also results in eternal glory. Eternal glory. We're rewarded by God when we're obedient to him. Secondly, when we're obedient to God, we just get to see some pretty awesome stuff. Okay, stuff that doesn't make sense. Here in this story, he says, get in the boat and go. So they get in the boat and go, and this whole storm erupts. And then, of course, Jesus comes and walks on water to them and calms the storm and then teleports the boat to the sea. But there's stories like this all throughout Scripture. Remember the story of Jericho? Okay, God's plan to defeat Jericho. Um, It wasn't they go in, break down the walls, and just start going crazy. God's plan was, let's do this. Let's, how about hiking? Okay, so to defeat Jericho... Um, to have the walls come tumbling down, let's just let's walk around it. Really? That's our plan of attack? Hike? We're going to hike? Well, no, 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 because then you're going to hike more. Oh, that doesn't make sense. But then you're going to blow a trumpet. God, this doesn't make sense. Right? Like, this makes no sense. And guess what happens? They're obedient, and what do they get to see? God do amazing things. Amazing thing. Burp, burp, burp. Walls come just like God said. What happened? Remember the story of Moses? Moses, you're going to go there and tell him to let my people go. God, that is not going to work. One, I have a stutter. I don't speak good. I'll send your brother. He's going to help you. But God, I just don't think. No, just stop it and listen. Go do what I told you. Okay, fine. I'll go. And he goes, uh, let God's people go. Not going to do it. How about God sends frogs? Okay. God sends tons. Okay, that that one didn't work. Um, How about the sky just goes black? How about... Um, just, just crazy, crazy things. And, and why does Moses get to be a part of that? Obedience. He's obedient to the Lord. He finds himself in a weird situation. But guess who he gets to watch do amazing things? God. Then he delivers them. He says, go out into the wilderness. You're going to wander for 40 years. It's going to be a long, 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 long time of walking around. God, people are thirsty. Hey, Mo, go talk to that rock. Seriously? Right? Talk to the rock. You're crazy, right? Uh, hey, hey, rock. River comes out of the rock, and the people get to drink. Okay, why does Moses get to see amazing things? Obedience to God. Our obedience to the Lord will most likely get us in trouble, but it's worth it. Why? Because we are rewarded for it, and why? Because we get to see God in action, and God does pretty amazing things. Kids, here's the deal. Following Jesus instead of following your friends is not cool, but it's worth it. Okay, it's not cool but it's worth it. Ladies, not giving in to the selfish desires of your boyfriend will probably get you dumped, and it's worth it. It's worth it. Men, doing business by the book, like doing business God's way, will probably make you less money, and it's worth it. Why? Because obedience to God leads to rewards. We're rewarded for it in heaven, an eternal weight of glory, and we also get to see God do pretty amazing things. Verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. So they've gone between three and four miles. John's not super specific. Between three or four miles, if we look at the timing of the whole thing through all of the Gospels, they're rowing for not one hour, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight. They're rowing for about nine hours. Nine hours in a storm, straining at the oars, just barely making three or four miles. How many New Year's resolution people we got in here, right? You're going to try to look better in skinny jeans next year? That's your goal? (laughs) 
Right? Uh, good luck. You're probably going to fail, but it's fine. You can try again next year. Um, you ever been to the gym and see that rowing machine? New Year's resolutionists, you're about to know because you're going to start going to the gym tomorrow and then cancel your membership as soon as you meet the rowing machine. Um, but the rowing machine is the thing that you use for about five minutes and then everything hurts. Right? Everything, everything is just sore. You're soaking wet and you smell bad and people look at you funny. That's the rowing machine. You do five minutes on a rowing machine and you're pretty much good for the week. They've been on the rowing machine um, for nine hours. And it says they've been straining at the oars. So they are going at it for quite a long, long time. And at that point, they see Jesus walking on the water, coming near the boat. And it says they were frightened. It's interesting. They're not afraid yet up until this point because they're fishermen. They know what they're doing. They know what storms look like. But Mark and Matthew say they see Jesus and they think he's a ghost, which is kind of terrifying. Right? A bad situation. Uh, they have no Jesus. They're rowing for nine hours. It's dark out. It's windy. It's wait. Jesus, it's just a bad, bad thing. And then they think they see a ghost. Okay, pretty frightening stuff. But he said to them in verse 20, and I love this. He said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. I love his response. Verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, which seems like an understatement. Right? If you see a ghost and then you find out it's Jesus and bring him into the boat, you're probably a little more than glad to take him into the boat. But that's what it says. They were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately. So Jesus in the boat, and then bam, they're at the shore. Just amazing, amazing things that Jesus is doing. And that's the whole story. It's six quick verses. It's the story of how they got from this side to the other side. And also, Jesus walks on water, which is cool. And he calmed the raging sea, which is cool. And he teleported a boat, which is kind of cool too. And then it, the New Testament doesn't talk about the story ever again. It's just done. It's these quick six verses. It's a segue from this side to this side. So what do we do with it? As I found myself studying this passage, um, I kept asking the question, Why? Why? You ever do that? You read a text and you're like, why? One, why would he send them into the lake if he knew a storm was coming? Okay, why would he walk to them? Couldn't have Jesus done like the, like the Jesus hand thing where it just solves all the issues and the storm ceases and stuff? He could have. Couldn't Jesus have just gone, and the boat would have like just flew to the other side? I guess he probably could have. So why did he do it this way? Or why are there, there's no commands, there's no to-dos, um, there's no, here how you should respond to this story because of what Jesus did. It's just this quick story about Jesus walking on the water. And I started thinking, okay, what does it teach us? Um, what does it challenge us with? What in the world is going on in this little story? And as Tim told you, um, I think it's all about the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is supreme. And from this story, we see two things that he is supreme over. The first thing is that Jesus is supreme over all creation. Jesus is supreme over all creation. Jesus did something amazing right here in the presence of his disciples where this miracle is unlike any other miracle that he's done, okay? First, he walks on water, okay? He walks on water. And then the other accounts, he has Peter walk on water. And then Peter, because he's a weirdo, he takes his eyes off Jesus and then starts sinking. Uh, and then he helps Peter walk on the water again, okay? And then he just calms the storm. Um, and then he just snaps his finger and teleports the boat. 
So in reality, this isn't just Jesus walking on the water. This is Jesus performing five miracles like that. Bam, 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 bam. I have to imagine the disciples are looking at this just thinking like, this is amazing. This is amazing. Jesus truly does astonishing things. You're not supposed to walk on water. That, Jesus, that rule doesn't apply to Jesus. You're not supposed to control the weather. That rule doesn't apply to Jesus. You're not supposed to teleport. That rule doesn't apply to Jesus. Why? Because when you create everything, everything obeys you. All of creation sits beneath the creator. Colossians 1, 15 and 17, which Zach read earlier. Um, my voice is not nearly as deep and beautiful as his, but I'll do my best. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Why is Jesus supreme over creation? Because he is the creator, right? All things were made by him, all things were made for him, and all things are held together in him. Everyone, just, just hold your chest as you breathe. You feel your lungs rising and falling? You recognize you're breathing because Jesus is literally holding everything together? That the supremacy of Christ is, is evident right now as we're even alive? He is supreme over all creation. Secondly, Jesus is supreme over all circumstances. All throughout the Bible, when, when people... Um, kind of come upon difficult situations, God's commands are pretty similar. He says, fear not, fear not. But it's not this empty command that it's like, stop being a baby, right? It's not cut it out, get over it, like, rub some mud on it, you'll be fine, right? Like, it's not that, it's fear not, why? Because I'm with you. Fear not, why? Because I'm with you. The, the one who's supreme over all creation is with me? Yeah, that's, that's the story of scripture that God is with us. We just celebrated Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. God became a man and lived with us, and now God became spirit. He is spirit, and he lives in us. Okay, God is with us constantly. He's not just with us, but now he's even in us. We see the story in Joshua 1. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord God is with you wherever you go. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor will he forsake you. Matthew 20, 18 through 20, this is before he ascended back to heaven. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I am supreme. I am supreme to everything. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen, I don't know what circumstances you're facing in life right now. Okay, I don't know what 2016 did to you where you're just so mad and bitter and upset about some life situations and you're hoping that just flipping the calendar page to 2017 will solve everything. Um, it's not going to. Because 2017 is still going to be full of drama. Um, it's still going to be full of your crazy Facebook friend who just angry rants about everything. Um, you're still going to have to deal with that boss you don't like a whole lot. Um, you're still going to have to deal with those neighbors that you've been trying to tell them about Jesus, but they're just so shut off and not receptive to it. None of that's going away. 
Okay, your 2016 problems, when the new year comes, they just become your 2017 problems. Okay, and within those problems, guess who's with you always? Jesus. Jesus. Supreme ruler of everything. Fear not, for I'm with you. Maybe you're afraid of what your friends might think of you following Jesus. Okay, especially, this is especially you. You're afraid of your friends and and what's going to happen if I bring a Bible to school or if I wear my Not of This World t-shirt to class? Like, what's going to happen? Are people going to crucify me? What's going to, I don't know what's going to happen. But know this, that Jesus is with you wherever you go. He's with you wherever you go. Have no fear. Why? Because the best friend you could possibly have, Jesus, is with you all the time. Maybe it's fear of the unknown. This is what it is for me. I got control issues. Anyone else? A little bit of, we can be real. Come on. Don't say it's just me. Someone help me. Thank you, thank you. And if it's not you, just make me feel good. Raise your hand. We can be friends and stuff. Um, I got control issues, and the fear of the unknown drives me nuts. Right? Like, bad situation happens. I'm like, what's going to happen? What's going to go on? How can I solve this problem? And guess what? There's most of the problems, problems I can't solve, so I'm just left in fear. What's he going to do? Is he going to, like, what's, what, oh, man, what's going on? And fear not. Why? Because I'm with you. I don't know what the year is going to bring. I don't know what drama is going to happen in my life over the course of the next year. But I know this, that the supreme king who created everything, who sustains everything, who rules everything, says he's with me no matter what. And he's the one who tells me, do not be afraid. 2017 will bring you many ups, many downs, some good times, some bad times. There will be some times when you're downright afraid about something, but we serve King Jesus. The supreme ruler of everything, and he's in control of every circumstance. The king who came to his disciples on the water and said, fear not, is the same king who died on a cross but did not stay dead, rose again, is the same king who ascended to the right hand of the Father who sits there now, is the same king who says, fear not. Why? Because I am with you. I am with you. My, my prayer for you guys in, in 2017, and not just like my New Year's resolution is, listen to Jesus. Like that's not just a, a resolution thing. That's like a lifestyle of obedience. That's what God wants for us. My prayer for you is that you would be obedient to God. Okay, in whatever direction he leads you over the course of this next year, which will probably get you into some trouble because when you follow Jesus the right way, trouble seems to happen. Okay, but no, he might be leading you into trouble, but you're not alone because the king who created everything is with you. Let me tell you also this morning, um, if you don't know Jesus, um, sadly, you have everything to be afraid of because the wrath of God is upon you, which is a terrifying thing. And if you want that wrath removed, it comes from knowing Jesus and Jesus only. And when we say believe in Jesus, we don't just mean that you believe he existed at some point in, in history. Like he was a real guy. We mean believe in Jesus, that, that he lived a perfect life that you couldn't live, that he died for your sin, that he came back to life to defeat death. And that is with the Father right now. And if you believe in that Jesus, you believe he actually did all of those things, then fear not. Why? Because he is with you. Could you do me a favor quick? I'm going to ask you guys to stand. Um, I love interacting with people a little bit. Could you stand? Because we're going to read Psalm 23 together. Moms and dads, if you want to grab your kids and just wrap your arms around them, um, or grab your spouse or your fiancé, whatever it is, or your girlfriend and the trajectory's good, like it looks like it's going places... <laughs> Uh, whatever it is, grab someone around you that you love. And I would love it if we could just read this together, if you could make it your prayer for your kids, if you could make it a prayer for your spouse and ultimately just an act of worship to God for who 
He is. Psalm 23, I'm sure you've heard it. It says this. And you can read it out loud so it's not just my voice talking. Um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. Jesus, it blows our mind that you are supreme, that you are better than everything, and yet you've chosen to be in relationship with us. God, you walk on water, you calm seas, you heal the sick, you give sight to the blind, you do amazing things. And your words are true, and you say, fear not. Why? Because you're with us. God, whatever the next year brings, may we have no fear because we fear in something greater. That's Jesus Christ. God, you're so good to us. Would we respond appropriately in worship and communion and giving now? Um, we love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen.